Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. This has been the year of the Enneagram for Complete Developer Podcast. You guys have learned about Reformist Ones, Individualist Fours, Loyalist Six, and Peacemaking Nines. You've heard all about the types and their variants, but how do you use this information? In this episode, we're going to reflect back on some of the things that we learned as we discussed the various Enneagram types. But before we get started, Will, what's I don't even have a thing for it. What have you been up to this week? <laughs> uh, not much other than just tons of meetings. I've got a project that's fairly critical for our timeline at work. And then my team has got a large project that they're doing. And I'm periodically having to jump in to get them moving again because they'll run into roadblocks and stuff. And then we're interviewing people. And man, I, I'm getting like two hours a day maybe to work on actual code. Like I'm in so many meetings. I got up at four o'clock this morning and came downstairs and just worked. I got more done before the rest of the crew got in this morning than I have like than I did in like the last three days last week. So, yeah, I think it'll ease up pretty soon. It's just, it's, you know, it's like you have meetings that are periodic and then other meetings that are periodic and then others that are just loosely scheduled. And if they all, you know, like it, they all hit at the same point, you just get nailed for a week or two and oh, yeah. in one of those little, <laughs> yeah. And man, it does, it, it really wears you down. And I've also started kind of like strategically skipping meetings just because I, I've got to keep my head above water. So yeah, that's, that's where I am now. How about you? Uh, so uh, I got the photos back from uh, the photo session I did week before last. I think oh, I yeah? told you guys about that. Yeah, they turned out, they turned out great. Lots of fun. Really, really good. I mean, of course, you know, it's like my friend, who's a professional photographer. I was doing this for her. So yeah, she did a great job with them. She posted some and then sent me the rest. And she's like, I'm going to post some sort of over time. I'm like, that's cool. You know, so she's already posted a few others, which is really neat. Some black and whites. They're really cool. Dude, I had such a busy but fun weekend this weekend. Saturday, I went out uh, to one of our small groups I don't normally go to. Uh, They make goat cheese. Hmm. Uh, And so I was doing some filming and photography for the creative team. And then that evening, we had our trunk or treat event at church, but we had to move it indoors because of the weather. Like it was sort of drizzly, not super rainy, but they decided, hey, it'll be easier to have it inside. So that was cool. I was videographer for it, had an absolute blast, lots of fun. We had a photo booth, an Instabus photo booth. My friend runs, um, was there. And so Got lots of uh, photo booth photos. If you guys follow me on social media, you probably saw those. Then uh, Sunday, the men's and women's groups got together to grill hot dogs before group. I made chili for it. So we had chili dogs, uh, which I will actually be eating leftovers of that tonight after uh, we get done recording. Kind of looking forward to it. It was good chili. Nice. 
Oh. I will say I am very glad they are patient at work. Did Chili have something to do with that? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't go into the office. I work from home. Uh, I was going to say uh, it's powerful stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> You've had my chili, haven't you? Uh huh. Actually, I had dinner with one of your coworkers Saturday too. But it's all oh yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. I've been stuck on this one story for like three days, dude. I just finished it this afternoon, so I'm not still stuck on it, but. It required this small change to the API, which was a was a separate team, but my team has taken over the API for this project. So I got to do that. No complaints. I actually really like working in, in the backend stuff. But uh, the problem came in that I couldn't get it to run locally because of some like weird configuration stuff. So I spent like a day or so working on just getting it to run to make my small change. And then, of course... You get in there to make the change, and the change isn't as small as you thought it was going to be. So never is. And so it was a, it was a hot mess there for a bit, but uh, it was actually a lot of fun figuring all that stuff out. Uh, this morning, I actually got to go to church on my lunch break and uh, film the video announcements for the week. I've been training on uh, setting up lights and cameras, like going in on my lunch break on Tuesdays uh, and helping out with it. But this week, I got to be the talent. That was so cool, dude. Like, for real. Bit different than doing podcast stuff, though, because I had a script that I had to read verbatim. As, you know, opposed to the way we do things where we just sort of ad lib and read it. Like, we get the message across, but we read it the way we want to say it. So that was that was a little bit a little bit different. I had uh, thankfully uh, they sent it to me a few days or a day or so early. And I uh, I was able to take my time and run through it a few times before going in. Uh, also had a director who, you know, had me repeat phrases like I used to have you do back in the early days. Yeah. Like, wait, re-say that with this tone and stuff. It was like, your cadence was off there. I was like, oh yeah, I was trying to do it from memory. And so, yeah, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of cool getting to do that. So. Saving money is hard, especially when you're wrapping up the Enneagram. I don't know. I have nothing. <laughs> the Enneagram thing's really getting you, isn't it? Uh, I guess. I don't know. You wrote it, so. Yeah, I know. Lucas Casades is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan, but also take action so that you can live your best life. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is that investing in financial services is really only worth it if you come out ahead, right? That's the idea. And thankfully, Level Up has this working. Uh, you can actually improve your finances and the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will pay for itself. They have this really cool pricing model that's designed to help you no matter where you are in your financial journey, if you're starting out or if you've been doing this for 20 years and you're like, hey, I need to start seriously considering retirement, They're, they got a plan just for you. And Lucas is also a fiduciary for his clients, which means that he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. So he's not a sales guy trying to pawn something off on you. Yeah. And you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp where he covers financial topics that you probably face and interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their careers. And you can learn a whole lot more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. 
While you don't want to be too quick to categorize someone, categorization does serve a purpose. It gives you a mental model for dealing with situations, and mental models can be very helpful once their accuracy is sufficiently tuned by real-world experience. However, a mental model that you just learned from a book can be really risky. Because no idea that you get from a book is really yours until you've actually tested it, tweaked it, and made it your own, it's kind of time to discuss some of the do's and don'ts for using the Enneagram in the real world. Like design patterns, Enneagram types don't really exist. Rather, they are a type and categorization of things that do exist. Now, this distinction is important because to do well at anything requires that you submit to reality rather than to a generalization of reality. While the latter is tempting and makes you feel like you have an explanation for everything, it's fraught with peril because you actually don't. Reality is messy and requires learning when to apply book knowledge and when not to do so. There are a lot of things you can do with a personality test that will give you bad results over the long term, even if those same things worked in the short term. Human beings are notoriously difficult to classify into rigid groupings, whether you're talking about a dozen hunter-gatherers living in the rainforest or 500 programmers working in a skyscraper in New York City. While you can easily create a mental model of the world that works more than half the time, it's very difficult to create one that works 90% of the time and impossible to create one that does so every single time. Another issue comes up when you classify people and tell them about it. Most times they don't like it very much unless they're part of the process. If you think any of this stuff is ever going to give you a full explanation of who someone is, what they did, why, you're really going to be sorely mistaken on that one. Now, that doesn't make a system like the Enneagram useless, however. It just means that you have to look at things differently. You have to shift your approach so that your, your mental model is constantly being tested and refined. Use the system to improve yourself instead of trying to control others and use the tool to have better interactions with other people. Such a system is actually more useful than one that attempts to offer perfect understanding and predictions because it actually works. Yeah. So guys, in this episode, we're going to discuss some general principles for using the Enneagram and other similar tools in the real world. We'll talk about some realizations that you should have while studying this and how those realizations apply. In the aftercast, we'll discuss what each type needs to do to improve their ability to manage themselves and others. So the first thing that you should know is it is a model of clusters of behaviors not a predictive algorithm. You cannot <laughs> accurately and consistently predict other people's behavior based on their type. They will surprise you. It's really great for analysis after the fact and for refining your feedback loops to handle things better next time. But as far as being useful for saying, here's what will happen, probably not. It's more like a general yeah. kind of thing. Uh, this is what happens to a population, not to an individual. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like, all right, I'm a two. So in general, there are certain things that like a two does. Like we have, I have a lot of two friends because we're the befrienders and we, we make friends, especially with each other. We have the saying, hashtag it's a two thing. Mind you, most of my two friends are millennials and Gen Z. But, you know, that's 
that's our thing. Hashtag it's a two thing. That said, we also sometimes will sit around and talk about how we handle things differently in different situations. Three people with the not not just like actually there's like three or four of us, but like the conversation I'm thinking about, there's three of us, three different twos, all two wing threes. The same situation we're presented with, we each handled it differently. Well, I mean, it's not just, you know, your type. It's also what you know, what skills you bring to the table, yeah. how mentally healthy you are, like how mature you are. Yeah. What situation you're in, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you may be really conciliatory in normal situations, but you, you know, there's that one dude that you can't stand and you're not, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then there's even just lots of, lots of little small differences. Yeah. And plus, you, you got to bear in mind anything that you do like the the reaction to a situation is now part of the situation. And yeah. so you have other people in the mix. So like predictability is gone, uh, even with just one person. And that includes yourself, by the way, right? Like you will sometimes surprise yourself by what you do, even though you're like, oh, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a one, I'm going to react to it this way. And sometimes you just go out of left field and you do something that nobody would have thought you would do. And yeah, including you. And and so you can't really use the Enneagram even to predict your own behavior. It's really good for feedback and retrospective. Well, I, I don't know if I agree with you on that. I like you can't use it like perfectly predict. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. If you put qualify it with perfectly, yes. But I, I think what what it allows for you to do though is it gives you a good generalization of all right, most of the time I'm right. going to behave this way. And you can set yourself up for that or set set yourself up for success or set yourself up not to fail. If like, all right, most of the time when I'm around people, I'm not going to like people I know, I'm not going to get work done. I'm going to sit and talk to them. Then I know to plan for that to go, all right, well, you know, if I'm going to go sit at this coffee shop, I, I need to bring work that is not going to be critical because my friend's going to show up in a little bit. And we're not going to sit and work. We're going to sit and talk. But, you know, that doesn't mean every single time I'm going to sit and talk because literally I have sat at a coffee shop across from a very close friend of mine and we were both sitting like nose in books yeah. working on stuff. And that doesn't mean it won't. I've been that never, friend. I know exactly yeah. what that is. Yeah. But in general, most of the time, I'm not going to be the one with my head in a book. Now, you don't put a friend around me. You put like a bunch of strangers around me and making noise. And I'm like super focused. But that's just me. It drives me crazy. Yeah, I don't understand that at all. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's not just, okay, I'm, I'm going to respond in the way that a two does. You might have it in your head that you're going to respond as a healthy two. And something hits you off center and it's a bad day for whatever reason. And that prediction's out the window, right? So, I mean, you... You can tell yourself that you're going to respond like a healthy person of your type, but you might not be in a really good headspace at the time, or you may be in a group of people whose behavior trends in a different direction, right? So like if B just surrounded by a bunch of fours, his responses are probably going to trend more artistic than, you know, than a type two would typically be expected to do, I guess is kind of what I would say. Hmm. Possibly. Sometimes I go the opposite of the people I'm around, but... Yeah, but it's like you're not going to be in the same place. It's going to affect you. Yeah, yeah. The people you're around definitely do have an influence on you. And so... 
and, and again, it's more like a observer problem. Pat, uh, a pattern of behaviors. Yeah. It's like, all right, you might have outliers, but there's like this general trend in a direction. And so you can kind of, you can predict based on the trend, not based on an individual incident. So you can't, like, you're not going to be able to say, this is exactly how I'm going to handle this situation. You can say, hey, most of the time in situations like this, this is how I'm going to respond to it. Yeah. And the other thing you can do is you can use that to better yourself. So rather than going, all right, well, this is how, this is just how I'm going to respond. I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later from reading ahead on the outline, but yeah, you can use that to go, all right, well, this is how I'm going to like, I tend to respond based on my personality type, but that's not how I want to. So what can I do to improve that? Or you might say, Hey, you know, this job is going to put me in this situation where I typically respond badly a lot. Maybe I shouldn't take it. Yeah. You know, because it's, I'm fighting my nature. I'm, you know, ice skating uphill or it's going to put me in a very difficult. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever done it (laughs) or, uh, you know, it's going to put you in a position where, you're going to respond positively to a situation that happens all the time. And it's going to be something that's really beneficial for you. You can, it can go the other way too. Well, it's like, um, and I, I, like I said, I think we're gonna talk about this more later, but I want to go ahead and say this because it's on my head and I don't want to forget, but, um, it's like when I am healthy, I tend to take on the healthy traits of a four. And I have noticed just a pattern in my behavior that as I get healthier, I start to do more creative things. Right. So when I'm going through a rough time, like, and it's not like an unhealthy, but just a stressful, rough time, I find that if I force myself to do, I say force, but if I like, like put creativity into my life and use that, it does, it makes me feel better and it helps me through those stressful, rough times. Of course, that might also be the, me as a healthy person, because I think if I were unhealthy, I wouldn't think to do that, but See, now we're getting into like this weird meta stuff. Yeah, there's some recursion going on up in here. Oh, yeah. It's all all turtles all the way down. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the point of you know what we were saying before is that categorization helps you make sense of the world, but it's not going to ever work perfectly. There's kind of this whole thing. If you take it too seriously, it kind of has some woo-woo aspects that are very similar to like listening to somebody talk about how, you know, they're a Gemini, so they're naturally a backstabber. If you hear people that don't, that aren't really looking at it for a, a tool, but they're looking at it for an explanation of life and people don't fit into neat categories like that. Um, oh yeah. And, and that's like, there's this phrase, you are not your number or you are not your type that gets, gets thrown around a lot, especially again, I have a lot of friends who are really big into the Enneagram, but we also try to keep it real. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, we, we make fun of, it's more like we pick on each other for our types and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, well you're, you're a seven. So of course you're going to do that kind of thing, you know, messing with right. each other or, or one thing that I have had is I've had some really close friends of mine come up to me and be like, Hey, you know, I noticed you doing this and this is something that, you know, in general to struggle with. So do you want to talk about it? Yeah. And that's that's actually been really nice because it's like people paying attention and being like, Hey, there for you, buddy. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're categorizing something, the idea is to give you words to describe a thing, not to give you the thing. It's, 
you got to be careful not to mistake a categorization for the thing that you're trying to categorize or the contents of the category. Yeah. And, you know, this is sort of like a mental trap that you get into when you start, you know, kind of looking at this stuff because it is really easy to go, oh, this is the total explanation for all the things. And it's not, it's just, it's a tool that makes it where a big chunk of them kind of makes sense versus being complete chaos. Well, I mean, it'd be like saying that, uh, repository over unit of work pattern was the way to do all development. I said it that way just just to get that look on Will's face. Y'all can't see it, but... <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> I mean, there's there are cases where that's actually not terrible. Right? Yeah. Most of them, I would contend, are fairly terrible, uh, especially as you scale the team, but whatever. You, you notice how he, he says where it's not terrible, not where it's good? Yeah, well, Will, Will does not like that, and I, I love picking on him about it. It just that is not my jam. I feel like it's uh, not a good way to to model that reality of what's going on, um, which is kind of the whole thing we're talking about here, right? Yeah, that's what um, I was getting at. That's why I brought that one up because it'd be a good one to to use there. But yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, what what you want to do is is we were talking about earlier. Use the enneagram. Use the, the things that you know about it basically to improve yourself and to improve your interactions with others. That was the whole point of this entire year talking about them was so you can un- help you to understand yourself and others. And it also helped us to understand ourselves and the people we work with. I know right. learning about the eight y'all remember Cody uh-huh. we on the podcast a while back who I used to work with, man, he and I, we got along, we get along so well, but there would be times where he would make me so angry and like, I couldn't figure him out. And then I studied the Enneagram and I was like, oh, he's an eight. And a lot of his behavior like started making sense. And I could be like, oh, okay. He likes it when you argue with him. Now he doesn't like it when you come at him, like Cody specifically, he doesn't like it when you come at him with like unfounded argument or you don't have your your research behind it. But if you've done your research, he wants you to call him out. Sometimes he would literally say stuff just to see if you would call him out on it. Yeah. And, and I had a, I had a uh, boss that was like that too. One, one point, not too yeah. long ago. Yeah. And like, I, I, once I figured that out, like I said, we already had a, a good working relationship, but once I figured that out, it got so much better. So we stopped working together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 I changed jobs. And so, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's the thing that what you can do is you use this to work on yourself and say, like, what can I do to change the way I interact with people? Because I understand myself and them a little bit better now. Yeah. It's not that you understand them perfectly. It's you understand a little bit more about them. Right. It's just a, it's a useful tool. And, you know, you yeah. might say, I don't work well with sevens and I got to fix that. Right. Or I don't work well with eights and I've got to fix that versus saying eights don't work well with me and they need to fix that. Those are two very different mindsets. Mm -hmm. So next, this is probably more useful turned inward than turned outward. Like like we were just saying, it's about personal development, except that your locus of control is on you. Um, that's really funny because I've been reading this book and we're going to have some episodes on it once I finish it about uh, how to lead when you're not in charge. And one of the big things is leading yourself. Yeah. 
And it, like it, this whole chapter about you know, what if you have a bad boss? It's like you can still lead yourself, and that's the same. That's kind of what we'll say in here in the in the outline is that you need to focus on yourself, especially when you're first learning about this, because it's so easy to go, oh well, you're like you're a two. I'm going to say twos because I'm a two, you know, and you know you need to work on not feeling like you have to be loved and accepted for everything you do and love yourself. And it's like, all right, that's, that's great. But you know, what about you? you? Mac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you do, there's this urge to fix other people. Some of us have it stronger than others. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just saying. Just ignoring the psych major in the room. <laughs> Yeah, using the Enneagram to improve yourself is also faster than trying to improve other people and has a better chance of actually working. It's not just, hey, you know, like I need to accept that other people have agency. It literally doesn't work well if you don't. I mean, there's an efficiency thing that's lost by trying to make other people do what you want because most people aren't aren't going to do it. They're going to fight against it. Whereas if you improve yourself, then that's a little bit easier to handle because hopefully you're not fighting yourself. Yeah. Thing is, if you improve yourself, others are going to start noticing it. They're gonna they're gonna see the change in you, and they're gonna ask about it, and they're gonna be like, "I want what they've got." And that is when you can show them how they can improve themselves, because you're not going to be able to improve them. You may be able to improve your interactions with them, which may make their life better and like have a like tertiary effect on them, but it's not going to be a direct improving them, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, and but, it's going to be a lagging indicator too. Yeah, right? like it's you don't improve somebody quickly. No, you don't. And, and they're going to what's going to happen is they're going to see your improvement in yourself, and they're going to want that, and they may ask you about it, and you can you can be like, hey, here's what I did, and then they can improve themselves, and like since you've already walked the path, you can help them along. Yeah, if they need it. Yeah, I say help them along more like guide them. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, this is the book I read, or this is. You know, this is what helped me. This is the podcast I listen to. Check this out. Stuff like that. So the next thing that we wanted to bring up is that you can't type people based on their results. You type them based on their motivation. This means that reactive typing of somebody based on a single incident is you know, really has a high chance of being pretty wrong. Uh, this is especially true because people's motives are not always particularly obvious, even though you can often guess. Yeah. And that's that's why um, there's more than one question on the uh, the Enneagram test. You know, it doesn't just go, "Hey, read these nine types and which one are you?" You know, it it asks questions to kind of help find, and then like some other tests, like the uh, the Myers Briggs type indicator and and a few of the other pers- more like scientifically based tests. They have specificity and and other control measures built into them to like make sure you're not just like selecting C's on all of them and stuff like that. Yeah. Or to make sure that you're not selecting the one that sounds good. Yeah. Which people will do as well. And each group has got successful people, abject failures, uh, monsters, saints. Those are results, but the motivations for wildly disparate outcomes can be the same and the motivations for the same outcome can be wildly disparate. 
right? Like those are not, you know, how you got started down a particular path is not the same as somebody else who, you know, ended up at the same endpoint. It's also important at uh, this point to realize that if you do think you figured out someone's motivation, telling them generally doesn't help. I mean, you can use the information to help motivate people or make them more comfortable. You know, like I have quite a few friends. People might be surprised by this, but I have quite a few friends who are fives and nines, which typically are introverted. I do know one extroverted nine. It's just straight up weird. But uh, anyway, yeah. But like the fives especially and like learning that about them, it's like, all right, with them, you just kind of like sit quietly with them for a little bit and like talk to them about like either stuff they're interested in or ask questions because they're not going to initiate the conversation. Right. But they want to be part of it. And, and being able to recognize that allows you to give that to them. Yeah. And saying something about what their motivation is, you know, besides that being kind of creepy, also is going to change their motivation because now they're going to be trying to dodge fitting your predictive model. Yeah. Next, the Enneagram doesn't excuse bad behavior. Just because you took a personality test that told you that your personality type has some downsides that doesn't mean that you're off the hook for any problems those downsides happen to cause. I mean, you still have to face the consequences of your actions. The whole goal of things like the Enneagram are to help you figure out when and where you're having these problems and be able to mitigate, if not alleviate, them altogether. Right. And this also uh, means that you don't let other people off the hook for their behavior just because they are, you know, of a certain type. It may help when you see something is about to go wrong, but it's not an excuse for somebody acting out. So you may be able to head a problem off before it becomes a big issue. Well, yeah, that's like I said, um, I've literally had friends come up to me and be like, hey, I noticed you doing this and that's an issue for twos. You know, something going on, you want to talk about it. And kind of see it as like, it's a good way, a good early warning sign, basically, to catch right. stuff before it becomes a problem. And especially if you you do have people you trust and you've allowed to speak into your life that way, who are going to speak positive and like life-affirming things into you to allow them to call you out on stuff. I mean, I have, I have a few friends like that. Like, that's not something you trust everybody with, but having a couple of close friends like that really makes a difference. Goes without saying that the good things you do are also not determined by your Enneagram type. Be sure and, you know, when you get a victory, actually own it. Don't go, oh, well, I'm a one. So this is, you know, something I do by default and it's really not that hard. You know, when you're successful and you roll something out that, you know, hits your standard of perfection, right? Like you yeah. got to own that. You don't go, oh, my Enneagram type did this. No, you did it. And that's just important for your psychological health more than anything. Mm -hmm. Also, while you're not excusing your own bad behavior, you can't use the Enneagram as a weapon against other people. Like if yeah. you happen to figure out someone else's type, either because they took the test and told you or you just are a good guesser, I tend to be pretty bad at figuring out other people's types, just to be honest with you. 
You thought I was a six? Yeah. And I might have been at that point. That's it, the other thing, too. That that's kind of- that's the one that makes the most sense. I, I've, I think my problem is I, I tend to think the way people present themselves is who they are because that's like I present myself as who I am. Right. So at length. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I want to go there, but okay, you know, like at the very least, don't make disparaging remarks about other Enneagram types. At least not too disparaging, unless you're disparaging yourself and everybody else. I don't know. We we kind of like on the podcast we try to talk, we try to present a balanced view. So we'll talk about the positives and the negatives of right. both types. But you don't do it in a meeting, like in a staff meeting, and go, oh, you know, we got a bunch of Enneagram type fives on this team and they don't collaborate well. And, you know, yeah. Those kind of comments don't help anybody. Um, and no, it's not don't. even an Enneagram thing. It's just a, you're not offering constructive cr- criticism. And I think a lot of people hide behind these kind of tests and don't actually use the material like it's supposed to be used because it's it's easier to use it as a explanation instead of as a tool. Yeah, that is so true. Um, so there will likely be one or more Enneagram types that you dislike or don't work well with or you can't understand uh, for various reasons, you know, bear in mind that this includes not only the Enneagram type itself, but probably also includes how that type behaves when they're unhealthy. And it also includes the unhealthy behavior of other types that resembles the type you dislike. So for instance, if I dislike, you know, if, if I were to dislike, well, if, honestly, if I were to dislike fours, Beach when he's healthy would irritate me potentially because he's a two and they, they trend that way. Um, that's the, for some reason that's the only wing I can or not wing. It's the only arrow you can remember. <laughs> direction of integration I can remember is yours, not mine. Wait, you go to a four when you're unhealthy. Yeah. Well, and and that's the other thing too is a lot of times you're seeing a mirror. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's very true. Uh, it's it's interesting because there are certain types like there's a certain type and wing that I do not get along with very well at all and i i specifically have people in my larger friend group of that type because of that yeah well and you know they may be irritated at you too right because a lot of this stuff is yeah (laughs) kind of primitives of your behavior system so when you you don't understand those people it's it's easy to butt heads uh, you know from both ends and, you know, that doesn't mean that you avoid them. You know, like Beach said, it means that you should figure out why they bother you and what a better response to them would look like. You know, so for instance, I'm a type one and type fours do kind of drive me nuts a little bit. It's it's mainly because of the lack of predictability. And it's especially when a type four is in a negative state. Like I have a really hard time dealing with that. And sometimes... Beach will get into that place and it drives me up the wall, but I've got to look at it and go, okay, well, why does that drive me up the wall? Well, I'm a type one and I tend to go there when I'm not in a good headspace. And the worst part of the whole thing is seeing your own reflection in somebody else's behavior and not liking it. And that's very easy to do with this stuff to think that, you know, the type is the thing that you're not liking versus, hey, I'm, I'm seeing an aspect of myself that I don't like. So next, it 
it does cue you in on what your potential strengths and weaknesses are, as well as the strengths and weaknesses of others. That's like a really great thing that you get from personality tests in general. Now, you have to understand the map is not the territory, and it can inform you about that territory so that you can kind of find your way around. The Enneagram is it's sort of a map of how your motivations influence your behavior as well as what those behavioral influences mean. So if, for instance, you find that your behavior is starting to trend towards something that's unhealthy for your Enneagram type, the Enneagram can be a, a really good heuristic for figuring this out before you're like in the bottom of the pit. Yeah, or on the other side, like I was mentioning earlier, if you know where you tend to go when you're healthy, you can yeah. start doing those things. Yeah, or like, you know, I, I would give another example on top of this. When you're healthy, you get more artistic, right? And creative, I guess creative, or you you produce more stuff. Yeah. and. Honestly, I have seen in the past year or two that you got some people that are in your social circle now who inspire you to do that, right? Like, yeah. I couldn't necessarily, looking from the outside, go, is he more or less healthy because of those people? Like, early on, it's like, oh, well, he's doing all this artsy-fartsy stuff that I don't really understand. But I can look at this from the perspective of the Enneagram and go, oh, he's around people that are motivating him to become a better version of himself. So this is good. Yeah. Because it, it makes all the pieces fit. Yeah. I mean, and just like that, if you know what someone's Enneagram type is, then you're in a position to help them. Like if you if you can decide what kind of work they'll be doing, you'll probably keep them happier for longer if you assign them work that plays to their strengths while avoiding things that push them into an unhealthy direction. For example, I mean, I don't think they knew my Enneagram type, but at my last job, but they quickly figured out that I was not a maintenance person. That just, right. I have no interest in that. It does not suit my personality at all. But you need someone to quickly learn something and solve problems or create something that no one's ever done before. Then you put me on it because I'm going to love every minute of it and I'm going to get it done faster than anybody else because. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Right. Whereas the perfectionism of the one kind of plays in for me and it's like, oh, this is busted. This is wrong. Mm -hmm. And you can send me in there to fix it because it's going to bug the crap out of me until it is fixed. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very, very different. And that's that's one of the great things about the yeah, the whole thing. It's like we we're all different and we each have like we bring different things because without will we would create lots of cool new stuff. But once it had been out for a while, it maybe needed some maintenance, maybe needed like a new coat of paint, stuff like that, or me needed some fixing. If everybody or were like process me... process needed tuning for making yeah. it. Yeah. If everybody were like me, they'd be off on doing something else and just be like, oh, well, whatever. Someone else will get to it. <laughs> it's last week's fashion. Yeah. But if everyone were like, will we'd have no innovation. Not saying that you can't be innovative, just, you know. Yeah, like, it, yeah, or the innovation would proceed in a very different manner and it would yeah, probably you, you be You wouldn't slower. have people going out. Yeah, it would, it would definitely be slower, more methodical because I, I have a friend, she's very, very creative, very artistic, but she's also a one wing. I think she's a one wing nine, but yeah. And so her 
like her innovation is more more methodical, whereas my innovation is, all right, I'm going to try this new thing that I just thought of right now and see if it works. Oh, hey, look at that! It worked. <laughs> yeah, right. Look at that! It didn't, but look at the way it failed. That's yeah, different. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and okay. you know, I think that's one of the things that works about this podcast really well is those are tendencies that we have our own tendencies and we, you know, they kind of complement each other because I can slow Beach down when he's like just going, you know, spinning off out into infinity on something. And I'm a great idea. be guy. like, hey, so what? I said, I'm a great ideas guy. Yeah. Whereas he could be like, hey, we, you know, we got to get this thing done. Like it, it can't be perfect when it goes out the door. It's, it's got to go though. And that that's that that seems to work pretty well for us. It really does. Like honestly, I think that's been one of the keys of our success. Is that and just like years of friendship and both being too hard headed to quit. Yeah. Well, not that we ever we don't. It's not that we don't ever get mad at each other or frustrated. It's that we're willing to address it. I think that's a big thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and like the way we address it now is is quite frankly quite a bit nicer than the way we used to. So true that, yo, true that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I remember those days. Oh, I do times. too. Oh man. So another point here is that you, when you use a heuristic of any sort, but especially the sorts that are heuristics involving other people, you have to deal with a loss of precision, you know, as a, you know, it's like a first order part of the structure. Right. Like it's not, oh, I did it right, but then I lost precision. It's like, no, the every input is imprecise. So you have an X percent chance of being right about a person's type and a Y percent chance of being right about their motivations, then a Z percent chance of telling how it is going to impact other people. Now, your odds of being right about them are X times Y times Z divided by 100 raised to the power of 3, or cubed, at absolute best. Yeah, in other words, terrible. Yeah. Unless your predictive capacity is very, very high, you're not going to do well with this as far as you know, really knowing everything. It may be better than knowing nothing, but you got to understand the difference between knowing more than the other people around you and knowing everything. Which can be really hard, especially if the people around you are not particularly aware of things. While this is better than zero, especially if you're often right, it will never be anywhere close to 100%. And that's not the point of it anyway. The point is to help you reason about some situations or know what questions to ask. But it should never be used in lieu of proper information gathering. This also means that if you are making plans with the assumption that someone will enjoy a particular task because they are of a certain type, you need to plan for what happens if you're wrong. I will give a great example of this. A couple of years ago, pre-COVID, we were having a big, uh, we used to do what we called serve day at church. And this was right after I'd moved down here, my first, first serve day. And I was asked to be a clown. Knowing my personality, they thought, hey, he loves kids. He's a big goofball. He'll love being a clown. Forgot, you know, the time frame where I grew up with where clowns were, you know, generally considered bad and evil. (laughs) 
so uh no i just i was like okay if if that's what you need me to do i'll do it and then i got a call back like five minutes later from from our children's pastor she's like so i found uh, someone else to be a clown i'm like okay i'm like i'll do it if you need me to she's like no when whenever i ask you to do something you're almost jumping up and down with joy about getting to do it this is the first time i've ever asked you to do something and you said if that's what you need me to do it's like i know this is not for you and like but based on my enneagram type you would think i'd love it so yeah you know it's it's important to understand that like it's not a perfect predictor uh you kind of have to begin to embrace a more probabilistic approach to your thinking rather than a linear one. Right. And that means everything is unpredictable and you need to have backup plans at all times when you're using this stuff. Uh, it's not perfectly reliable when when used in this way. Now, uh, another point is that the Enneagram is useful when applied to individuals, but you can learn a lot about what happens when it gets applied to groups. Uh, in a team environment, the way different Enneagram types tend to interact is extremely instructive. In particular, the Enneagram can help you find which people will work well together or who will have complementary strengths. And those, by the way, are not necessarily always the same thing. That is very true. And it, it's it's so funny because while Will and I work really well together, I've had other ones that I know who I have butted heads with severely because I'm like, no, we need to be like, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. And I'm like, I'm seeing this vision and they're like seeing the what is. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not seeing what it could be. Right. And we just, we butted heads and butted heads and could not like, it it took a lot to get us to finally be able to work together. I've had that interaction with other ones for that matter, right? Like your own type may not be the best type for you to be working with. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In a lot of circumstances it and it may be it it's really it's very dependent on the situation that the team is in. Yeah, you know, it's it's going to depend on what you're actually trying to do with that team. So it may be hey, we're we're doing this one task and we've got to get this particular project knocked out. We're going to compose a team, you know, kind of based on that knowledge. But when that project's done, maybe we don't need to keep that team together. Because the next project is something else, and those people are going to be at cross purposes. You might want everyone to be of complementary types uh, in an engineering team that needs to quickly release a product. However, on the other hand, if you want a long-term stable team dynamic that's able to adapt to marketplace changes over the long term, However, on the other hand, if you want a long-term stable team dynamic that is able to adapt to marketplace changes over the long term, you may want a bit more diversity on your team. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like the difference between a, a special forces team and a Supreme Court, right? Like the special forces team, you want them to work in a complementary fashion, but the Supreme Court, you want them to argue, right? Like because if they work in a complementary fashion, it may not really go well because they haven't thought everything out. Whereas a special forces team that argues all the time, well, you don't have to have a return flight. Save on jet fuel. Yeah, that's not really, you know, that's not an ideal situation. No, it's not. Okay, so finally, 
wings will probably help you more than the broader Enneagram types. Right. The wings are more specific, but they also cover a lot more of the gray area. And this gets really interesting uh, when you include the interactions between wings. You know, we didn't really get into that a whole lot when we were talking about this stuff because it like it just keeps on drilling down. Yeah. Well, the, um, the thing with the wings are they're they're where they're the watershed areas between the types. So if you understand like one, we did we could have spent a lot more time on each type. But when you when you look at and you get the core of the two and the core of the three, then from that you can figure out the two wing three and the three wing two. The the fun thing about the wings though is like all right, a two wing three and a three wing two are gonna have a lot of similarities. Their underlying motivations are gonna be different. And they're gonna be more two than three. Like a two wing three is gonna be more two than three, but they're gonna have a lot of similar things to the three. A three wing two is going to be more three than two, but it's going to have a lot of similarities to the two. And it's also a matter of like, all right, well, which aspects of them do they have and which do they not? And this is where it really gets like, all right, you know, it like there's a lot of like this person, like I said, I've got like three or four friends who are two wing threes and each one of us are very different because we have different aspects of them. Yeah. And and to add complication on top of that, the way that unhealthy members of a particular type will interact with the rest of the team is different than the way a healthy member will interact. So you can build the best team in the world with the assumption that everybody's going to remain healthy. But as soon as somebody goes through a messy divorce, it's not anymore. Right. And that whole dynamic can really shift in a bad way. And you know, you did everything right uh, from the get go, but um, people become unstable and the team becomes unstable because you know, one or two people have shifted places now. You know, one thing we haven't talked about in here or in the other stuff is gender differences. Yeah, the way it gets expressed. Yeah, because I was talking with a very good friend of mine. She's also a two-wing three, but um, we were talking about dating the other night. Not each other, but, you know, dating in general. And uh, anyway, we're we're having this conversation and uh, she was saying, she's like, yeah, she's like, she had looked it up or had read somewhere. I don't remember. I don't think she explicitly went out and looked this up. I think she just had been reading about it. But uh, apparently female two wing threes like more like dominant male, like when they're dating, if they're dating a male, they, they prefer more like type eights, but male two wing threes prefer more artistic females. Yeah. So they like fours. Yeah. And I think some of this stuff too, you know, it's not just gender differences, right? Like background differences are going to play into this too. Like if you, you know, if you grew up in poverty, it's your, your expression of your type is going to be different than if you grew up rich. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was just, that's the one that, that came to mind because the next point you have on here is that adjacent wings often work well together, but there can be a lot of friction in areas where they work differently. The reason this popped up in my head, the gender thing is because I get along really well with male three wing twos. But you remember that type I was telling you about that I particularly have, like I specifically put in my larger friend circle because I do struggle to work with them. 
female three wing twos. I have two or three of them in my friend circle just because I'm like, hey, I know I have trouble getting along with people with with that type. And I'm like, I actually like you as a person. And so I want to hang out with you so that I can get over this issue that yeah, I have. You see the value in them yeah. as people. Yeah. And yeah. so like I, I remember having that conversation. Like I butted heads with with one of them. That was a while back. We were all out um a big group of us were out staying in a cabin. We'd gone to, I think it was in North Carolina or something. But uh, we butted heads about a couple of different things this one day. And she was like, oh my goodness, like, I'm going to have to like find a new group of friends because BJ is like super popular and so established and stuff. And I'm like, like, I went up to her and apologized. I'm like, look, no, I, I particularly want to be your friend because I have trouble with people with your personality type. And I don't want to have that kind of trouble because I think you're a really cool person. Well, and you know, it's on you. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's, I, I think that bit of awareness is very important. And it's, it's something that gets missed in all this if you're not careful. Yeah. I'm glad we stayed friends because her boyfriend's really awesome. <laughs> I'm just saying. So guys, the, Enneagram can be a useful tool provided that you understand what it's actually intended to provide and what it is not. Used properly, it can give you a better model when working with other people, when trying to improve yourself, or when adding members to your team. However, it's not a panacea, and it does have limited capability when you try to use it for prediction of other people's behavior, fixing other people, or for dealing with bad behavior by yourself or others, mainly by sweeping it under the rug. Like any tool, it has its strengths and weaknesses, and you'll find that you need to apply it before you really grasp what those are. So, Beach, that's uh, about all we got. What do you have for us this week for uh, Tricks of the Trade? Just like your number or type on the Enneagram doesn't define who you are, neither does your job, your house, your hobbies, or even your spouse. Really wanted to throw the word mouse in there somewhere too, but you know. Well, you got a mouse on your keyboard yeah, next to you your go. keyboard. Yeah, or or your gaming mouse. There you go. I got I got mouse in there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it can be very easy for us to allow things like our relationships or our job status to define who we are. The thing is, those don't always last. And when they're gone, you may find yourself not knowing who you are. For example, if you have children, and I know people who do this, and define yourself by being a parent, like that is like how you, who you are. When your kids grow up, they're going to move out of the house. I mean, you know, it may not be until they're 35, but they're going to move out eventually. And then you won't know who you are because, yeah, you'll still be their parent, but you won't be the, that parent taking care of them the way you were. So what I, what I want to challenge you guys to do here in this Tricks of the Trade, as we wrap up this year of talking about understanding ourselves and others, go back and re-listen to your Enneagram episode, like the type that you are. If you don't know, take the test. It's, uh, it's in the show notes on those episodes. I'll try to make sure and remember to put it in this one too. Um, but yeah, go back and take the test or just Google Enneagram test and you can take it. But do that. Figure out who you are. Listen to that episode. 
and take some time. Like, figure out what parts of that really resonate with you because, you know, not everything about the two resonates with me. A lot of it does, most of it. Not everything about the one resonates with Will. But enough of it to where we go, yeah, that's me. Figure that out. Figure out who you are. And let that, let who you are, not your type, not your job, not your relationship, not your role, anything like that, but just figure out like, these are the things that define me. These are who I am. And let that be the core of who you are. Because what's going to happen is it's going to shine through in all the roles you take on, whether that be as a parent, a developer, or even as a photographer. Who you are is going to come out through that when you know and you make that the core of your identity. Uh, That's pretty much all I got. Guys, check us out in the Aftercast where we're going to talk about how you can manage based on your Enneagram type. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.